Welcome to the Bethel Podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your day to spend time in God's Word. We hope that today's message blesses you and lifts you. I will bless the Lord at all times and His praises will continually be in my mouth. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Because we know that if God be for us, who can be against us? For we can do all things through Christ who gives us our strength. Good evening. Again, my name is Dr. Ron Archer. I'm the overseer of a place called the Places of Hope, where we've built leadership institutes in the Dominican Republic and Africa. So I'll give you an African greeting when I spent three years in Kenya. Bwana Asafiwe. Asante sane kerebu asante which means in Swahili, God bless you and God keep you. I'm the father of children. My oldest son is a military officer. He's stationed in uh, Travis Air Force Base. He's about 6'4", 225, played tight end, and he has a nickname for me. He calls me affectionately Baldilocks. (laughs) I have a nickname for him. It's called (laughs) Heredity. But I see a few men who have my same challenge, and so I'm going to give you a word tonight to encourage you that God doesn't put marble tops on cheap furniture. Just keep shining for Jesus. I want to talk about a subject tonight taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, written by that great Pharisee, great writer, lawyer, taught by Gamaliel from Saul to the Apostle Paul. And I want to talk about this esoteric existential thing we call storms. You see, storms are inevitable. I don't care how holy you are, how smart you are, how good you are you're going to have your fair share of life storms. We've learned that either a storm is right with you now, just leaving or on its way. The word storm is an acronym that means significant trauma, overwhelming, reasonable minds. The storm will never leave you like it found you. There are many kinds of storms in life. There can be a marital storm, it can be a family storm, it can be an academic storm, it can be a health storm, it can be a career storm, where something happens so significantly, it changes the temperature, the feel, the ambiance, the sense of direction, the topography, the biography. Everything about what you thought you knew has been altered, transformed, changed, the rug's been pulled from under your feet and you find yourself breathless. Storms. But I want you to know something today, that there is a God. His name is Jesus. 
and he's on your boat. And in the Bible, when a storm came, his disciples said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus stood up, and he spoke to the storm, and he said, Peace be still. That same God is in your life. That same God is accessible by you, through you, to you, where you can call upon God to speak to your storm, whether it be med medical, marital, financial, can be personal, voc vocational, and God can stand up in the middle of your storm and say, peace, be still. That is his authority. That is his power. That is his capability, or as we call it, his exousia and his dunamis. I'm an NFL chaplain as well, so I must give you an NFL story before I get into the message. And so this young man took his mom to her first ever NFL game. Oh, they got great seats. 50-yard line seats right behind the home bench, and it's a rivalry game. Referee comes out in his little white shirt and black stripes and flips the coin, the quarter in the air, and the game begins, and it's a tough and rumble game. Helmets get knocked off, teeth are on the ground, people are sweating and all the rest, and it gets in the overtime, and the last final second, the home team kicks the field goal, and they win. And the crowd goes crazy, high-fiving. He takes mom to dinner, and he says, Mom, how did you enjoy your first NFL game? And mom said, Honey, they're so huge, and they hit so hard, and they run so fast. But I didn't understand till today how poor they are. Poor, he said. Yeah, honey, they're struggling financially. He said, Mom, some of these players are multimillionaires. Many make $100,000 a year by just holding a towel. Mom said, your mother listens and watches everything, honey. Those players are struggling financially. He said, well, how do you get that? He said, well, when the game began, the man in a little striped shirt took the quarter, flipped it in the air, and all I heard the rest of the game, son, was get the quarterback, get the quarterback, get the quarterback. Those men are poor. Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 7. And it says in uh, verse 7, but we have, stop there, the we, the pronoun, Paul is talking not to the unsaved. He's not talking to the Corinthians who are not Christians. He's talking to the body of Christ, the called out ones, the Christianos, us, the believers. That's why the word we is there. We have this treasure. Stop there. The word treasure there in the Greek is the word thesaurus. What is a thesaurus? When you were in school, or you're in school now, had to write a paper, and you find yourself using the same word again and again and again, we call that redundancy. You needed some new pedantic nomenclature academic jargon to fill out your particular thesis or idea. And so you looked at a thesaurus. What is a thesaurus? It is a treasure trove of a multiplicity, a cornucopia of a variety of words. For example, you could say, Dr. Archer is talkative. Well, he could be loquacious, he could be chatty, he could be verbose, all saying the same thing, but they're called synonyms. So when you write your paper, you're using different sounding words that mean the same thing. So Paul says here, we Christians have this treasure chest, thesaurus. So what does that mean? 
what it means. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior, when you say yes to God and submit yourself to his lordship and receive him into your life, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit comes bearing gifts, bearing capabilities, and God deposits certain things in you. One, you have the very presence of God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So rather than dwelling in buildings made by man, God says, I will come and take up residency in you, with you, for you, to you. I will step out of time into time to change your time for all time. I will be with you until the end of the cosmos. So you have God dwelling in in you. So when you do spiritual battle, it's not you that the demons fear. It's not you that the devils tremble. It is who is in you that represents the most high God. For example, there's a 18 wheeler on the highway traveling at 70 miles an hour with all fully packed, all wheels on the ground, full diesel. And there's a small police officer like a Barney Fife with a whistle and a stop sign. And that big truck is rumbling full speed, and that little police officer blows his whistle. With everything the truck has, he puts on all brakes, and and that truck stops. Now, it has the power to run that man over. It has the power to blast right through them. But there's a reason why that driver stops the truck. You know why? Because he knows something. Behind that police officer is the entire police force. Behind the police force is the National Guard. Behind the National Guard is the U.S. Army. Behind the Army is the Marines. Behind the Marines, the Air Force. Behind the Air Force, the Navy. Behind the Navy, nuclear weapons. So behind that one officer stands a kingdom of defense capability that can wipe out his generations for the next 20 years. So when you stand and say, in the name of Jesus, behind you is an army. It's not just you, because you have within you the presence of God. You also have the promises of God. I know the plans I have for you to prosper you and not to harm you and offer you a hope in a future. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will stick closer than a brother. So you have the presence of God. You have the promises of God. You have the power of God. And ye shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the world. You have the protection of God. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. You have all these things inside of you. Paul says, we have this treasure. Now, that's some significant treasure. This is God's treasure chest. Where does he deposit this treasure? In a big safe with a big lock at Fort Knox, at the Pentagon, in NORAD, in a submarine that has nuclear arsenals? Where does God put his treasure? In clay pots. Now, if you have great treasure in your family, family heirlooms like diamonds and rubies 
and stocks and bonds, do you put those things in an unlockable, fragile, easily broken clay pot? Who does that? We call that a justification or a yin-yang didactical paradox, meaning it doesn't make any sense. Why would God choose very fragile, very easily broken, very easily cracked clay pots to put his treasure in? Well, you got to understand the scripture. Well, back in this, we call this hermeneutics, understanding the time in which people lived who wrote this particular story. Back in the days of Jesus, when they had many festivals, so we just passed them up in the Jewish holiday calendar. You had Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, which is the Jewish High Holy Day of forgiveness and atonement. Well, whenever they had the Pentecost or they had the Passover, it was always associated with a festival and feast. A lot of food, a lot of delicacies. And so people would come to the temple or come to the synagogue and come to the home and eat and eat and eat and eat. And so when they were full, of course, what goes in has to go out. But they didn't have indoor plumbing. They didn't have outhouses. They had big clay pots that everybody would share and use. And that's where we get the word in our English language for chamber pot, for pot tea. And so during this time, after a big feast, everybody would share a pot. Person after person would go into the pot and share their blessing in the pot. And it begins to fill and grow with various colors and smells and viscosities. And you go now, it's your turn to use the pot, and you have your ring on, and the ring slips off the finger and falls. Bloop, 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 bloop. Who has the courage? Who has the health care insurance? Who has the power to go into all of that mess? <laughs> That's not a ring, okay, and how many would do that? This is what Paul is writing about. He's saying that before we accepted Jesus Christ, we were pots that was used by the devil. He defecated in us, he vomited in us, he used our bodies for demonic pleasures. We were pots of defecation. And impure. That's what Paul writes, that our righteousness is like what? Filthy rags. Our righteousness is like what? Dung. Don't blame me. That's what the writer talks about. And so before Jesus Christ, you're a toilet. The world uses you. The world abuses you. The world takes advantage of you. The world dumps on you that you're no good. That's all advertising is. Advertising is to convince you that until you buy their product, you're a loser. If you don't have this kind of car, if you don't have this label in your clothes, if you don't belong to this particular buying group, if you don't have these kind of tennis shoes, you are a loser. We call it what? Branding. You know where that comes from? The word brand? To have a brand? That comes from slavery where the owner, back in the Bible times, would put a brand on you to say that what? I own you. And when you say that you have no self-esteem, you have no self-worth, unless you're wearing the white brand, you're saying, I'm a slave to Gucci. 
I'm a slave to Oakley. I'm a slave to that brand, to Nike, that I have no value unless I have their brand on me. I have no value unless I'm wearing the name of somebody else who owns me. That's what branding is. And so many kids, so many people put all of their self-esteem and self-worth in somebody else's brand. And if I don't have that brand in my school, I'm not cool. If I don't wear that brand around my friends, I'm a loser. If I don't have that brand, you're saying if if I'm not a slave to that company, then I'm nobody. And that's what a brand really means. And that's what we're trying to understand when we're dealing with low self-esteem, low self-worth. Do you know how many people live their lives in quiet desperation, who are in deep depression, who've had all of these expectations put upon them, that they're not human beings, they're human doings. You are what you own. You are what you have. Not just because you're you, that's not enough. You gotta have more to be accepted by society. If you don't have it, you're nothing. Even, Even there's a place in Palm Beach and there's a store with all the high-class stores, and it's called Worth Avenue. We even say in finance, what is your net worth? And if you don't have a certain kind of a house or a certain kind of a car or a certain kind of a degree, then you don't have any worth. So the job of advertising is to make you feel worthless unless you have what they're selling. If you don't have this makeup, you can't be pretty. If you don't wear these shoes, you can't be attractive. If you don't have this car, you can't be somebody. So the job of advertising is to make you feel less than until you buy their stuff. Then you find out it still doesn't make a difference. You still feel alone. You still feel lost. You still feel rejected. You still feel ugly. Even though you've bought the lies. We are more connected than ever by the internet, by Facebook. My mother says, I don't like Facebook. (laughs) I said, I don't either, Mom. What is Facebook? I think she took MySpace and Facebook and put them together. We are more connected than ever through Twitter, through Instagram, through TikTok, through texting, but yet we're the most alone people on earth. How can we be so connected and still feel so alone? Because it's all about what? How many likes do I have? How many followers do I have? How many thumbs up do I? So our whole self-esteem and self-worth is external. And if I don't get the likes, if I don't get the thumbs up, if I don't get followers, then I feel unloved. I feel empty. And that is what we were before Jesus Christ. 
But when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, when God lets you know that you are enough just like you are, when God lets you know you are here by divine design to shine, when God lets you know you have a purpose in your life to help other people, to inspire, to motivate, to build up, to coach, to be a difference maker, I want you to understand tonight who you really are. You are a teabag. What does that mean? When you go to the store and buy a teabag, it likes to live in the cupboard dry other tea bags. But that is not the purpose of a tea bag. The purpose of a tea bag is to be taken out of its comfort zone and put in hot water. It's painful, it's uncomfortable. But what happens? That hot water that affects the tea bag gets overtaken by the tea bag. The water changes, the smell changes, the color changes, the viscosity changes, and the tea bag dominates the water by what's on the inside of it comes on the outside, and whatever's on the inside changes the smell, the taste, the flavor, and you are designed to be dunked. There's something inside of you, some gift and talent. God wants to dunk you at your school, dunk you in your football team, dunk you in your community, dunk you in your family, because there's something so powerful that once you get dunked, everything around you changes. He's not trying to harm you. He's not trying to embarrass you. He's trying to unleash what's inside of you. Paul says we have this treasure in pots of clay. Why, 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 why? Because pots are not very useful. They're easily broken, easily taken away. But he says we have this treasure in pots of clay so that the excellency of the power is of God and not of you. It's not about you. It's about what's inside of you. It's about the power, the present, the purpose, the protection, the peace that dwells in you that changes the world. Say, so, oh, Dr. Archer, easy for you to say. Well, how does this stuff get out? Go to the next verse. Look at the next verse, please, in that scripture. It says, but we are hard-pressed on every side. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. We are cast down, but we're never destroyed. So this is how all of those peas get released in your life. How many have ever been to Israel? Anybody been to Israel? Well, if you ever go, the Bible comes to life. The Sea of Galilee. Cana, where the first miracle took place. I baptized 60 people in the Jordan River to go to Mount Sinai, to go to the Dead Sea, Jericho, Jerusalem, the Wailing Wall where the temple used to be. The Via Dolorosa, the place where Jesus carried the cross, the seven stations of the cross, to go to Calgary, Golgotha, and there's skulls there today. But I went to a place called the Mount of Olives. That's where they grow all the olive trees. And then right below that is a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Who knows what that word means? The Garden of of Gethsemane means the olive press. That's where they take all the olives and crush them in order to make olive what? Oil. The oil is more expensive than olives because it has many uses for anointing, for healing, for cooking, 
for keeping maggots out of the ears of sheep because olive oil dissolves their eggs. That's where anointing with oil came from when the shepherds would put oil on the sheep's head to keep the maggots from going into their ears and eating their brains. That's where olive oil came from, from the shepherds. So olive oil is very, very, very priceless. But it cannot be produced without crushing. That's why Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was bleeding drops of blood as he was praying because he was God's olive. In between the wrath of God and the sin of man, he was being pressed. He was being crushed. Because the value of Jesus was not his body, his bones, his cells, his sinew, his nerves. The value of Jesus was his what? Blood. Where there is no shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. It is the blood that saves us. What happened on the Passover? What did the death angel have to see not to kill the firstborn of your family? If they saw the blood on both doorposts and the top, didn't know they're making the sign of the cross, then if the death angel saw that cross sign, it would what? It is the blood. It is the blood that determines who the father is of a child. If you want to find out who the daddy is, they take a what? Blood test. So when you go to heaven trying to get in the gate, God's going to ask, who's your daddy? That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. You need a blood transfusion. You need a new bloodline because the blood will tell God who your daddy is. You ever see those shows? And the father is... John, you're not. <laughs> but the blood don't lie. Because the blood of the baby and the blood of the father will what? Match. Do you have your daddy's blood type? Only two blood types. The blood of the devil, like the blood of God. A little bit like your daddy. There'll be some resemblance. He walks like his father. He has his father's eyes. He has big feet like his daddy. He's sloppy like his dad. <laughs> they even say, you can't deny this one. You can't deny him. He's your, that's your boy. That is your, that's your daughter. Oh, my gosh. Has the same personality. Snores just like you. Pigeon toe, just like you are. So the question today is, do you have your father's blood type? Because if you have your father's blood type, you wouldn't bully people. If you have your father's blood type, you don't gossip on Facebook and TikTok about people who got problems. If you have your father's blood type, you pray for your enemies. If you got your father's blood type, You're kind. You're forgiving. You don't hold grudges. If you got your father's blood type, you should look something like your father. We could tell Jesus was his daddy's boy. Because on the cross, where all these people, now imagine, these, you, 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 you've come to help these people. 
And they, <laughs> this, if you know nothing about people, let me teach you a lesson about people. On Palm Sunday, the people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king of Israel has come. Putting down what before his donkey? What? Palm leaves. Hosanna, Hosanna. Five, say five. Five, not five months, not five years, not five weeks. Five days later, on Good Friday, those same people saying Hosanna said what? Crucify him. This is why you can't build your life on the opinions of people. People are fickle. They'll change on you. They'll hurt your feelings. So these people he came to save, he's on the cross. They pulled out his beard, put a crown of thorns on his head. We want Barabbas. Remember that choice they had to make between Christ and Barabbas? Do you know what Barabbas' first name was? People don't know this. There were two people that Pilate could free on the Passover. It was Jewish law and Roman custom that Pilate, the governor, would set one prisoner free. And on the stage was Barabbas and Christ. And the people cried for who? But his first name was also Jesus. Yes. Jesus Barabbas. Or Jesus Christ. And what that represents is the Antichrist will come to be the false Messiah. And who will you choose? Jesus Christ or Jesus the Antichrist? He's going to come looking like Jesus, sounding like Jesus, talking like Jesus, but he's really the Antichrist. Now, in the Greek, Antichrist doesn't mean against Christ. Antichrist means another fake Christ. Who's your daddy? If you go to heaven right now and God pricks your finger to test your blood, what will it say? Selfish? Self-centered? I want to share with you a poem about time. You may think you have all the time in the world. Not necessarily true. Right, Letterman? I'm NFL, baby. Right, Letterman? What'd you let her in? Which, what did you let her in? I see a letter on your jacket. Art? Okay. What kind of art? Abstract, drawing, graphics? What kind of, I'm curious. Huh? You don't know what kind of art? So it's abstract, existential, pedantic, all the above. Okay, all right. I knelt to pray but not for long. I had too much to do. Must hurry off and get to work for my bills would soon be due. And so I said a hurried prayer and jumped up from my knees. My Christian duty was now done. My soul could be at ease. All through the day I had no time to speak a word of cheer. No time to speak to Christ to friends. They laughed at me, I feared. No time. No time. That was my constant cry. No time to give to those in need. Alas, it was my time to die. 
And when before the Lord I came, I stood with downcast eyes. Within his hands he held the book. It was the book of life. God looked into his book and said, your name I cannot find. Oh, I was once going to write it down, God said, but I never found the time. So as I close, Dr. Archer, what you know about suffering? You made your first million dollars at 28 as a businessman. You have a national TV show. You're NFL chaplain. You are Air Force One President Bush. You have homes all over the world. Corporations pay you $20,000 an hour to speak about open space technology, affinity diagramming, and appreciative inquiry and business development. What do you know about suffering? What do you know about hard times, man? People will see your glory but not know your story. So as I close, let me share with you not just what I've done in my life, but who I am. My mother was a prostitute. My mother got sex trafficked at 14 by a group of criminals. And she was raped every day by businessmen and other men who wanted her young. Our family's biracial. We're half German and half Cuban. So my mom looks like Holly Berry, Liz Taylor, and Beyonce. Just a beautiful woman. At 14, she was fully developed, but we've learned something sometimes, that being beautiful in the wrong situation can be a curse for a woman and not a blessing. This pimp saw her, beat her up, gave her drugs, chained her to a bed, and my beautiful mother was raped every day for two years. They call that turning tricks. Her job was to trick men to believing that she loved them in order to get more money from them. After two years of being a prostitute, she got pregnant. They call that having a trick baby. These are not two people in a love relationship wanting to raise a family. They are two business people in a business transaction, and there is a problem, an unwanted pregnancy. So they got together, and three times they tried to abort her baby, twice in Cleveland and once in New York. Three times they tried to murder this child. Three times they tried to end the life of this baby in the womb. They use drugs. They use hangers. They use violence. They ruptured her womb. They scarred her body. She's bleeding and in pain, but for whatever reasons, this baby just would not die. They were frustrated, and they threw her to the streets like an animal. And there she was, bleeding, hurting, alone. Her father in jail, her mother losing half her life to cancer. She's by herself alone and has this premature baby on the floor of an abandoned house. And the baby's messed up. The baby's born premature, brain is dysfunctional, lungs don't work. 
pneumonia all the time, can't learn in school. People say you should have had it killed. Why did you bring a dysfunctional child in a world like this? That baby, that mistake, that trick baby is me. I know what it's like to be abused and rejected. I know what it's like to be beaten. I know what it's like to watch my mother beat like an animal by men with belts, with buckles and busting her nose and knocking out her teeth. I know what it's like to be homeless. I know what it's like to go to bed at night with a knife under your pillow because the big rats come through the toilet and they want to chew off your nose and your face. I know what it's like to watch my mother with a gun try to kill a man who tried to kill her. I know what it's like to go next door to borrow water, because we didn't have any. Our water was turned off. I know what it's like to be evicted month after month because we didn't have the money to pay the landlord. I know what it's like to live on six months of just potatoes, because that's all we could afford. Potato pancakes, french fries, baked potatoes, boiled potatoes. I know what it's like to be teased in school because my clothes were raggedy. I know what it's like to be called a name. I was a stutterer. His name is Renardo. He is a retardo. He sits on the steeple. When he talks, he spits at the... I know what it's like to be poor and raggedy, living without a father. I know what it's like to feel less than, to feel unwanted, never born. My family was atheist. They were so angry, they were so mad at the world that they believe a God could not exist. There could be no God who allows all of these atrocities to happen. They did satanic rituals, used heroin, shooting under their tongues, in their eyes, between their toes. Uncle put a shotgun in a man's mouth to steal money so he could get drugs. He was only 14 years old. Go to, there was no prayers, there was no Bible, it was just pain and problems. When I was 10 years old, I, I took my mother's gun that she hid in her nightstand. I pulled the gun out and put it to my head, closed my eyes, and here was my thinking. If the next 10 years is anything like the last 10 years, I don't want any more years. I just want the pain to stop. I want it to die. I had a man who hated us and beat us, broke my nose twice. Low, broken hopeless, crying myself to sleep every night. There are many people who are in situations like that today. Maybe not as bad as mine, but I can see it on people's faces. I can see the shame. You see, we call it in the hood, game knows game. Game recognizes game. I can see people 
who feel inside like I felt. You can't hide from somebody who's been there. You can't hide from a thug who's been there, who can see. You're trying to fake it till you make it. But really, you're in pain. You feel alone, misunderstood, rejected, abused. Well, you can't even tell people what you've been through because you're so ashamed. If they only knew what my father did to me, if they only knew what my uncle did to me, if they only knew what my coach did to me, if they only knew what my friends did to me, I can't talk about it because I'm so ashamed. People live carrying that shame for years. It affects them. It affects their academics. It affects how they love. They can't love. They can't trust. Because when you've been abused, you learn four things. Don't trust. Don't talk. Don't feel. And pretend you're okay when you're not. Repeat that. When you've been abused, you learn four things. Don't talk. Don't trust. Don't feel and pretend everything's okay when it's not. And deep inside you're crying, help me. Will somebody help me? Will somebody see me? Will somebody understand me? And that's where I was at 10 years old. And I cried out in the night, help me. I didn't know who I was talking to. I didn't know how to pray. We weren't Christians, but I just cried, help me. Can I tell you a secret what I know? There's a God who sits high and he looks low. And he hears the cries of his children. He hears the cries of the abused. He hears the cries of the hurting. Because the next day in my school, a new teacher joined. She was a Christian. And she believed her school was her mission field. And she told the principal, I've been sent here for the worst students you have. And he said, I got one for you. He's a stutterer, he's a bedwetter, he can't learn, he's retarded, he comes from a broken family. She said, let me at him. Her name was Mrs. Spears. She had a big Gideon Bible. And she saw me and immediately she knew I was broken. And she said, honey, God don't make no junk. She says, God uses greatly those who've been wounded very deeply. She said, don't you know that you're in the Bible? I said, I don't think we're in the Bible. My family's full of prostitutes and drug addicts and thugs and devil worshipers. She says, oh, no, you're in the Bible. I said, where? She had me read this, and this may apply to you, Jeremiah. Chapter 1, verse 4. Listen to me carefully, because it changed my life. 
And it says these words, before I formed you in your mother's womb, God says, I knew you. And before you came forth, I set you apart to be a prophet for me. And he said, but Lord, I cannot speak for I'm only a child. And God said, don't say you're only a child, for I will put my words in your mouth. And wherever I shall send you, you will speak for me and be not afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. That scripture said to me, I wasn't just a prostitute son. I wasn't just an abused, rejected child, but I was here by divine design, that God had a plan for me as he has a plan for you. Everybody that's born in this world, God has a plan for you, and all you have to do is seek him, and he will tell you why you exist. There are two great days in your life, the day you were born and the day you find out why. The day you were born and the day you find out why. And on that day, I found out why. I memorized 2,000 scriptures, developed a photographic memory, became a straight-A student, graduated first in my class, got a scholarship to college, graduated student body president first in my class, and by age 28, made my first million dollars in business, planted churches all over the world, advised president, took my child on Air Force One. Here's my message. I was born a trick baby, yeah, but the trick was on the devil. My message tonight for you is what was meant for evil in your life, God can use for good. Your pain can become power. Your scars can become stars. Your wounds can become wisdom. Your setbacks can become your comeback, and your stumbling blocks can become your stepping stone if you give it to God. You know that song, Yes, Lord, Yes, I'm Trading My Sorrows. I'm trading my pain. I'm laying them down for the glory of the Lord. Everybody in my family got saved. My mother, my grandmother, my grandfather, my uncles, everybody through our ministry. What seemed hopeless? What seemed broken? What seemed impossible? Here's the secret. Listen to me carefully. Every miracle in the Bible began as an impossible situation. Let me repeat that. Every miracle in the Bible started off as an impossible situation. And that's how God likes it. So when he shows up, he can show out and prove that his power is greater than your problem. His power is greater than your shame. His power is greater than your family mess. His power is greater than your addiction. His power is greater than your abuse. His power is greater than your shame. If you simply give it to him, please. So here's what I've learned. I'm now 60 years old. I started preaching at 16. One point five million people have come to know Christ through our global ministry. Little becomes much when placed in the master's hand. 
But my anointing is not just for me. God said to me early on, your anointing is transferable. Your job, he says, what? Go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I want you to know who I am spiritually. I am Elijah. I'm Elijah. I killed the prophets of Baal on the mountain. I have a power and anointing given to me by my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What I'm looking for today are Elishas, who I can transfer the mantle to, who want to be doubly blessed, a double portion what God gave me in business, in leadership, in the church world, that what God gave me, he wants to give in a double portion. Before I leave this earth, I'm always looking for Elishas to bless. Who wants a double portion? Who wants to be used by God to help their families? Who wants to be a light in the darkness? Who wants to be hope for the hopeless? Who wants to do more than I have done? And God sent me here because this is Elisha's here tonight. There are some who've been through hell and back. But I want you to know tonight there's a new beginning for you. A new start. And God has chosen you. Yes, he has. God has chosen you. Yes, he has. He's chosen you just like you are. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies who he calls. You ain't got to be perfect. Have it all together. All you got to do is say yes. Here I am, Lord. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that it challenges you to dig deeper into the word of God and grows your faith. If you would like to reach out to us, please visit our website at www.mybethel.net. Thank you.